Hello and welcome to the Full of Beans podcast, hosted by myself, Hannah Hickenbotham. Throughout these podcast episodes, we will speak to a range of individuals about their experience of eating disorders, with the aim of increasing awareness and understanding, whilst reducing stigma and isolation. Please note that the topics discussed in this podcast may be triggering for some individuals, so tread lightly, check in with yourself and reflect on these conversations. Today I'm joined by Hayley Justice. Hayley is a specialist wellness consultant who uses her specialist knowledge in psychology, nutrition and mental health to work with fitness coaches to support their clients struggling with disordered eating and mindset. Hayley joins us today to discuss her experience within the fitness industry and how the heavy focus on aesthetics in certain sports can lead to disordered eating and body image struggles. Hello Hayley. Hi Hannah, thanks for having me. No worries. It's so nice to speak to you. Um, I feel like we've been trying to do this for so long. Um, so it's really great to finally have you on. And I think a topic that's really important to talk about, I think one that is very much not necessarily recognized. So yeah, really great to talk to you. So how are you today? Yeah, I'm good. I'm, I'm really excited to talk about this. Obviously, like I've been in fitness for a really long time. And, you know, as knowledge and passion shift, I'm so interested in the development of this industry as we move towards, I guess, a more positive and inclusive type space. Um, because we know there's definitely a lot of not that <laughs> uh, historically. So I'm quite excited to just kind of dive into it and chat about my experience within the fitness industry and how it's changing as well. Amazing. Yeah. I think it's really interesting how you talk about change because I think often the kind of when we start in something, like so overwhelmed by everything and think that it's all perfect and then you start to like work in it more and realize that maybe there are some flaws or whatever but it's really great that you're so passionate about wanting to kind of change that um so I wanted to start today by talking about your experience within the fitness industry um to then go on to maybe talking about like the work that you're doing now so what was your experience of the fitness industry yeah so um I guess that kind of, I, br- I can break that down to two different categories, one being more professional and one being more personal. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in terms of my professional experience, I essentially, I was you know, a professional dancer at one point, And then I, you know, I thought fitness was my life at the time. I thought, you know, I love fitness. And I thought, how can I kind of monetize this further um, and just work out all day was <laughs> what I thought I wanted to do at the time. So um, I, initially did a yoga course and got my yoga qualification. And then I went on to do my undergraduate degree in nutrition, exercise science and health. Um, And within that program, they did a personal training certification. So of course I was straight in with that, did my level three at the time, and then started working while I was at uni as a personal trainer uh, at a gym. And then from there, I did my master's in sport and exercise psychology. So again, just building, I guess, a little bit more on the, the educational side of psych- the psychology component when it comes to exercise, which I was becoming more and more interested in. And it was one area I felt like clients needed help with. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I've just kind of built on my professional development from there, doing things like my level four course, uh, which is in working with adults with mental health conditions. And my specialist areas within that are eating disorders, women's reproductive health, and OCD. So that really, in a nutshell, encompasses the professional side of things. You mentioned at the beginning, I now work with fitness coaches more as like a consultant rather as a rather than a personal trainer myself now, um, with this effort of sort of changing the industry 
for those who want to be part of that change. But in terms of my, my personal side, I'll go back to that. I mentioned kind of earlier that there was a point in my life when fitness felt like everything. Um, and of course, I've experienced my own sort of toxicity within that and a difficult relationship with exercise. Um, but I guess a lot of that started just through like workout videos back in the day. Um, I was doing lots of workout videos when I was probably way too young to be doing them. And then went into my professional dance career, which, you know, I'm, I'm sure many people can, can guess, like dance is a very difficult space to be in, particularly as it relates to mental health and eating disorders. Um, you know, you've, you're exposed to mirrors all day long. There's a particular shape that's almost imposed upon you. Uh, so that was very challenging, of course, um, but also very a very rewarding career. And then I got into just general gym fitness from there and started going down the route of what felt like the logical next step, um, which is something I'm passionate about changing, which is in bodybuilding. So I've done three uh, bikini shows, not at any very high level. They were all, you know, fairly amateur. Um, I just thought this will be a fun summer pro project. And it was not, I can confirm. <laughs> there, was a, there was a lie I did get out of it that I, you know, I wouldn't, I'm the type of person who doesn't change anything in my life. You know, I'm very grateful for all the experiences I've had, but it is definitely something, um, it's, it's an industry or a field or an activity, I guess you could say, that's, I feel needs a bit more regulation because I was in no place ready or should I have been undergoing a show? Um, so yeah, that, that kind of summarizes, I guess, more my personal experience in fitness. And, and now I, I have a great relationship with exercise in my body. And I'm really grateful again for the experiences that have led me to get to this place, but it has definitely been challenging. And I can imagine other people go through very similar challenges as well. Mm. Yeah, I think, um, I think the kind of sports that you spoke about there, so it's, you know, dance and bodybuilding, like you said, there is, there is such a focus on your body, basically, you know, in, in dance, you have to be a a certain figure or a certain size to be involved in the dance and and bodybuilding is literally about your physique you know that is that is literally what's judged um so when when you spoke about like the regulations that you thought should be put in is there anything specific that you think in terms of bodybuilding because I think it's a hard one to navigate because it's like it is about your body but equally like you've said already the psychology alongside that like I think I think most people must surely be affected by that in one way or another. Yeah. And, you know, I've met people just like you meet in other sports, you know, people that come across as almost like a pure athlete where you're like, wow, you are almost made for this sport. Um, and it's, it's really, it's a really interesting psychology to witness in that sense. And I have met and I've interviewed and I've um, done research with bodybuilders who I've you know, done all the work, I think, to get to the depths of, you know, what's going on for them and have just kind of come out the other side thinking, wow, like you're really passionate about this. You seem to have a good relationship with it and a very healthy approach to it. You allow your body to go through the changes and it doesn't seem to kind of affect, affects everyone. Anything affects everyone in some capacity, but it seems like a very responsible and very healthy relationship with the, the sport or the discipline, whatever you want to call it. But then you have the very you know, the other end of the spectrum where you get people who kind of jump into it again, like I did in a sense, thinking this is the logical next step of my fitness journey. Everyone seems to be doing it. Um, and it brings out things within you that 
you didn't necessarily want to be brought out, you know, I guess in that sense, I am referring to eating disorders or disordered relationships with food um, and potentially exercise as well. And, you know, the reason for that, in my opinion, is because a lot of the different, I guess, things that you do or skills um, to get to the stage, in a lot of ways, mimics an eating disorder. And so I think people go into it sort of imposing these things on their behaviors for 20 plus weeks and kind of come out the other side, not, not sure how to handle their relationship with food anymore. Yeah. So when I, you know, I talk about screening processes, I'm, I'm not someone who sort of sits on this pedestal and believes that bodybuilding gives someone an eating disorder. I don't believe that at all, but I think that there are several factors that go into someone's relationship with food and potentially the degradation of someone's relationship with foods. And if someone already presents with a couple of these potential triggers, and then you throw on this almost imposed, quote unquote, again, in, in quotes, eating disorder in a way, or eating disorder behaviors for the purpose of a show, it can just become really confusing and muddle someone's relationship with food. And I think that fitness coaches can often, you know, you're trying to get your business built, you need the pictures for Instagram to show that you've created these athletes type things and someone's really keen and they come to you and you just wanna help them achieve that goal without really asking, hey, like, have you suffered with needs from the past? How is your relationship with food now? Um, and, and asking some of those key questions I think can often be avoided because it feels really personal, but fitness coaching in a lot of ways is incredibly personal. You're dictating how someone eats, how someone moves, um, a lot of people's health behaviors, in a lot of sense, their psychology. Um, so I think, we have to ask the hard questions and set our clients up for the best success and not failure. And if someone continues down that route, that is their choice, but at least you've offered that education or you've kind of given that disclaimer from the get-go um, rather than sort of just taking someone on, putting them through the show and they come out the other side really struggling and they never expected that to happen. Yeah, definitely. I think, like you said, I think having that conversation beforehand to almost, I guess, understand somebody's intentions with it. It might be a really good idea and to, you know, maybe explain what even doing a bodybuilding competition, you know, if you've got somebody that's new to it and doesn't even, you know, maybe doesn't know it's going to happen. Because I think you're right. A lot of the stuff that you see, it does mimic eating disorder, mm -hmm. you know, patterns of eating. Your food is heavily restricted. There's a lot of body checking, you know, constantly mm -hmm. weighing and, and stuff like that. Um, but I thought it was really interesting what you said actually about um, when you were talking about like the, maybe the difference in people that can handle that and not get developing eating disorder to those who might develop eating disorder is being able to manage the changes in their body mm. and I've always thought that was like something that kind of stood out to me as somebody that's doing it healthily and somebody that's not is that during that off season they're okay with gaining some weight and having you know a figure that is not stage ready whereas somebody mm. that maybe you know shouldn't be competing and is engaged in disordered behaviors would try and keep up that stage ready body consistently yeah. throughout. Something I see as well with some competitors um, and probably on a level myself as well you know going into a second season as almost a solution to the weight gain that is of course going to happen on the other side of the competition um, because you know you are so depleted of you know calories and, and energy and you know you're obviously doing way too much movement than your body can sustain so naturally there does need to be an increase um, 
but I think often that sort of you know, rebounds, not the right word, but that sort of rebound to a, a better, a, a more healthier body that can be sustained um, and that you, you, know, you feel good in um, can often not go too far. I don't want to say like, oh, someone puts on too much weight because, you know, what is too much weight? You, you know, your weight is what, how your body looks, the shape of your body can be whatever it is for someone to be comfortable and happy. Um, but I think it can often be those changes happen so quickly that you're not mentally prepared for the changes. Um, and so when they, when they do happen, and again, there's a level of distortion as well, because you're used to seeing yourself in one shape with six pack or whatever, which, you know, hardly anyone walks around with that. Right. And then, and then now I'm supposed to accept my body changing so quickly in the other direction when I've just spent 20 weeks on this goal, it can be so hard to wrap your head around and the season comes around really quickly and you have a few months to kind of deal with the difficulties and then suddenly you think, well, what, what can I do about this? I'm, I'm really scared of the way my body looks. I'm scared of the weight gain. I don't know how to, I don't know how to handle it. Oh, let me just go back into another season and I'll get back to where I was, but it perpetuates the cycle very much like, you know, you see needs sort of binge restrict cycle, but just on a, a larger yeah. scale, because you've got this competition and then you have the weird factor thrown in there that this is in a lot of ways celebrated, where of course an eating disorder is not, and it's very taboo. You know, if someone walked up to you and said, hey, I have an eating disorder, you just think, oof, like, ooh, that's personal information. You know, it's uncomfortable to talk about. Yeah. But if I came up to you and said, I'm doing a bikini competition, everyone is really excited about it and really proud of you, you know? So it's very different. And if that's masking a disordered relationship with food, no one will ever know or question it. Um, and it's, it's our job as fitness professionals, as coaches to question it. Um, mm -hmm and to help someone with that, because you're right, the behaviors in a lot of ways, as I said, mimic it, and even small behaviors, I won't name them, name them in case it's, you know, triggering for anyone, but working within eating disorder sort of recovery now, there's things that, you know, I've learned that we need to kind of watch out for, for with clients to support them not do those things, and it's things I would have done when I was competing, and I remember thinking, ooh, like, that's interesting because that's something I used to do as like a tool to help myself get on stage. And this is something in eating disorder recovery that is, you know, a no-go basically. And it's, it is really fascinating. Yeah. This might be a bit of a controversial thing to say. I don't know, but I'm, I'm going to ask it because I'm interested. But I guess, do you think that, you know, you've just said there that some of the behaviours that maybe you used to use as like a tool for your bodybuilding when you know going on maybe like a calorie deficit diet if somebody was trying to lose weight you know obviously in eating disorders we would see that as a negative because that's something that's being used to to drive the eating disorder so I, I think what I'm trying to say is do you think that the behaviors in bodybuilding can always be bad or do you think sometimes that they can actually be a tool that someone's using in bodybuilding but maybe just mm. in you know, in eating disorders in a different mindset, they are a negative. Do you think they can be yeah. positive? I mean, absolutely is an answer. Like, I think it, it all comes back to where is your psychology, right? Mm -hmm. You know, an eating disorder is not a physical condition. You know, it's not like a, it can present itself physically, but it's not a physical condition. It's a psychological condition. So you can be doing behaviors, which for someone is completely normal or sport specific but they're negative because they're perpetuating an eating disorder like the lens you're looking through is the eating disorder when you're doing those things you're not doing them kind of in acute in acute setting 
Um, whereas if you're going through a competition and you don't, you don't have an eating disorder, right? Or you don't have a disordered relationship with food, you might just be literally using those things, as I said, as the tools. Mm -hmm. It is when the tools then feel like things you need to continue for the rest of your life and you need to continue yeah. to engage with, and you can't kind of detach yourself from those behaviors as sports specific is when it can become challenging. And, you know, that's obviously on the extreme level or, you know, the high level of bodybuilding as kind of a, a sport, if you want to say, or I don't know that's a sport. I like to say it's more of a athletic discipline, I guess. Um, but fat loss is very similar in a lot of ways. I don't think fat loss is a bad thing. I'm not someone who's going to say that it is a bad thing for everyone. For some people, that's what they want to do. And they can quite happily do it without creating an unhealthy relationship with food. But there might be things that someone does when they're trying to lose weight that someone with an eating disorder does. In one capacity, it's fine because they have a specific kind of end point and they can stop doing those behaviors but with eating disorder, it is not. So finding out who's doing it for the right reasons, I guess, is the hard part. And that's where good coaching comes in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that is literally what I was just going to say is as a coach, you know, if somebody is listening, how would you determine the difference? Is it that you need, you know, do you think that all coaches should have psychology training to be able to determine those differences? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, should there be specialists that specialize in that and coaches maybe refer them or what's your perspective they can hire me no I'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> shameless plug no I'm just kidding I think I think on a level it depends on the type of coach that you're going to be not everyone is a fat loss coach so your skills need to be uh, strength and conditioning if that's if that's what you're doing I think coaches need to have a level of need to have a foundation in whatever it is they're coaching um, I think some people nowadays sort of lose some weight themselves and do a photo shoot and then kind of think, oh, I'll do this as for a living and I'll just replicate what I've done and help other people do it, which is not sufficient. There needs to be, you know, I'm not saying anyone needs to go away and do a university degree. I think that, you know, I think personal study and smaller CPD qualifications are sufficient. Um, but I think doing the research in advance and ensuring that you have a foundational knowledge in a general understanding of eating disorders, you know, it's just like we would say for a GP, like we're, you know, we're trying to provide more support with GPs to understand about eating disorders. So if a client comes in or a patient comes into the service, they might be able to ask the right questions if they're concerned. It's going to be very similar for, for a coach because once again, you're holding someone's physical health in your hands in a lot of ways. A, a coach is so much more accessible than a GP in a lot of yeah. ways because you know you wait on the phone for ages and they give you so much support in one session whereas a coach you have them around all the time and you ask all of them I mean, all of your personal questions too <laughs> I've had coaching myself you know I coach clients and I know almost too much about my clients but not, there's not too much right because you're you're dealing with the, the nitty-gritty of their physical health and their mental health in a lot of ways within your scope. But I think sometimes people just want to help everyone. It, it comes from the best intentions, but they, they can't. And I guess that's where the specialist support comes in, which is what I'm doing now, um, is to be able to provide that level of, I guess, qualification or help with someone who does want to screen for those things, who does want to kind of tick their boxes, cross you know their X's, dot the I's, and make sure they're not steering a client down the wrong route. Mm -hmm. um, because there are people out there who can help with that. Um, and that's something obviously I'm doing now and I'm really passionate about 
because there's not enough of it. There isn't enough of it. There's plenty of amazing coaches, but they're also, you know, for every one good coach, there's three that are just there for the, the money aspect and wanting to have more freedom from not working like a nine to five type thing, which is understandable, but you need to know where your remits are. Yeah, definitely. I think it's, it's really interesting kind of hearing you talk about it because uh, I think I agree in that, you know, you don't necessarily need to go and do a degree in psychology, but I do think that CPD courses and stuff like that would be, you know, really, really useful. In my personal experience, I remember I tried to start going with a coach um, and they kind of like asked me a couple of questions, you know, like how many times a week do you want to train um, and Mm. stuff like that. And I guess, you know, probably wrongly, rightly, wrongly of me, I don't know, but I almost... I wanted to see what their response would be about if I did kind of display eating disorder behaviors and quite compulsive mm-hmm. behaviors. Cause I wanted to be like, this is potentially something that could come up for me. And I want to see how mm-hmm. you navigate this because I don't want to be working with a coach that, you know, is, is, is going to basically come alongside my eating disorder. Um, yeah. And so the, the responses I gave, I thought were really disordered. Um, and they were actually like very encouraged, um, mm-hmm. you know, comments are quite so good that, you know, you can, you push yourself that hard and, and stuff like that and you know it, it's just funny the, how the m- mindset is so similar but you know one well, I mean potentially both can be detrimental but I you know it can be done in a mm-hmm. in a positive way um and then after kind of the um conversation on the phone um I was like I, I'm really sorry but um I just don't think this is going to be right because um I you know, I feel like this is quite disordered for me um and there was no question of you know how has your relationship with exercise been how has your relationship with food been it was just basically trying to kind of get all my motivation out of me and see how far I could be pushed and that for me yeah. was really really like I didn't think there was going to be any support whatsoever it's it's really hard um to find the right help I think particularly if you're someone who has had an eating sort of history or currently does but what I say to all my coaches now is I'm like there's no harm in asking the question on just the initial form and then you're going into the consultation yeah. with a bit more insight as to who you're speaking to so you if it's someone who does even a history doesn't have to even be current but someone who has a history going in with this sort of like let's get super motivated like wow you want to wake up at this time and you want to do this exercise you want to exercise seven days a week like that's so exciting well done for you you know you think about who you're speaking to right this person Mm -hmm. might need to scale things back and have support to scale back um you know going in with asking people about their how many calories they're eating or whether they want to track macros or whatever it's not the right conversation to be having with that client and if you ask the question on the consultation then before they even come onto the call you can prepare about the way you approach that person um, and not and not jump straight in with sort of triggering material without realizing it um, because it is a very sort of headstrong industry. It is a very kind of motivational industry um, and that whole side of things, which can be very helpful for many people. There's nothing wrong with that and, you know, encouraging kind of excellence in some sense, but we know that traits for someone with any sort of feeds on that perfectionism, right? Feeds on that high achievement. And if you can sort of navigate your conversation in a different direction with them, then that's great. You know, I think that people with histories of eating disorders who don't have them currently can work with fitness coaches as long as they have the right relationship and have someone who knows what they're doing when working with those type of clients. 
yeah definitely and I think I I'm almost of the opinion that you know I think like you said doing it on the consultation that's a fantastic idea because then you know and because I think that would be much better than having a conversation and maybe someone start talking and then you just be like oh wait sorry can I just ask you have you had anything to study before Mm. because as it's almost accusational and there's you know there might be shame embodied in that or whatever um well if you're uncomfortable to speak about it then they just won't fill out the form and they'll just message you and say oh sorry I don't want the call anymore. So yeah. you, you leave it to them. I think some people are afraid to ask those questions on the form because it doesn't feel like a safe space or I don't feel contained. It's like, I'm not there to kind of hold them in the consultation kind of form because I'm not there to speak to them. Yeah. Um, but that gives them the chance to sort of look at the question in their own space, the own comfort of their own home without someone staring back at them and saying, oh, do you have an eating disorder? And them kind of feeling like, oh, that's very confrontational. Like, I don't think I'm ready to share that information. They know you already want to know then it's on the form. They know that you're already considering this and they can choose either to open up about it or they can choose not to, but you've given them the space to do it in a way that I think is best practice rather than throwing the question like you've just said at the call. Maybe you forget about it or you ask it too soon, you ask too late, and then it kind of kills the rapport from the the first conversation, basically. Yeah. And equally, if you do you know ask it beforehand and it's something as a coach that you don't feel comfortable with I think it would be so much more professional and better for that client for you to say this is actually something that I'm not I don't have expertise in or I'm not trained in but here's a list of people that I know are that will be able to help you rather than um taking them on and potentially making something worse well or even wasting their time or yours on the call you know, yeah. just so you can send a message back and say, like, you know, it's just respectful. If you're not going to work with them, don't waste their time as you don't want them to waste yours. If you know you're not the right person for them, which is absolutely fine, you can then have in your arsenal a signposting. So you might refer to the Beat website, you might refer to other coaches who you know do work with people with eating disorders in a, in a safe way. And then that person isn't then lost to go to the next coach and try again. Um, and kind of yeah. keep filling out forms indefinitely, hoping that someone will work with them. You've already got people who can do that. Uh, yeah, I think if that can just be done from the get-go, then the, you don't have discomforts down the line. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we've just sorted it, so there we go. <laughs> Everyone knows what they need to do now. Um, <laughs> and I wanted to talk to you a bit about aesthetics. I suppose we've sort of talked about it a little bit with um, in terms of bodybuilding, but I hmm. think... I mean personally I don't really do any sport I just go to the gym so maybe Mm. I'm coming at this from an aspect of just the gym culture I don't know but I think you know over the past few years exercise itself has just purely become about the aesthetics I think a lot of people have lost that feeling of feeling of enjoyment for the kind Mm. of goal of what they look like um so do you have any thoughts on kind of why that might have happened I don't think that it is a more recent thing I think this has been going on for forever since fitness was developed but I think the reason why it feels like it's more prominent now is because of sort of social media and the rise of social media Um, because if you think about the old like Jane Fonda tapes you know the number of times she says long lean legs you know type thing you know they've always been perpetuating a certain aesthetic Um, you know the old what is 80s whatever with the leotards and stuff showing off the same physique there that you know everyone looks exactly the same the same body type it wasn't very inclusive even in the old aerobics 
type stuff. If you think about early, early fitness inventions, you know, it wasn't so much about exercise. It was about losing weight. You know, I don't think exercise was really a thing in ancient times. The idea of fat loss came first and then kind of exercise came after. It was sport, fat loss, and then we sort of came into this idea of exercise. Um, and the reason why aesthetics feels so prominent now is because we have social media to share our bodies on a wider scale. You know, how many bodies are you exposed to on a daily basis now when you can just scroll? Whereas in the past, it's just whoever I see around me. And I'm gonna see a much more varied group of people and much more diverse set of bodies if I'm just looking, if I'm just walking down the street, which gives a good sample of different humans versus mm -hmm. if I'm following my favorite fitness accounts on social media, then I'm exposed to the same type of body again and again and again, this kind of quote unquote idealized look, whatever that means, you know, and, and it then perpetuates my own kind of, I guess, need to look a certain way. And that's just not me, but it's obviously, you know, anyone who's consuming this, this amount of media, you know, on a regular basis, just constantly, it makes, it can, in my opinion, influence people to then engage with exercise purely to model what is being modeled to them on the phone, if that makes sense. Um, I think that enjoyment element has been lost because of, because of that. I think we're trying to get it back, but if we think about the way fitness is demonstrated, it is very much the same body type again and again. And it therefore gives us idea that this is what, who fitness is for, and it's not for someone else. Yeah, definitely. I think what you said about the body types on social media, I think it's so true because, you know, once you follow one person, I literally never go on my discovery feed because I know mm. that it's just not going to be what I want to see. Um, mm. But I think, you know, once you follow one, it's then exactly the same body type. But I guess I, I'm always kind of thinking, you know, there is obviously a movement of individuals that are trying to, you know, take back exercise and find enjoyable movement rather than it being for the aesthetics mm -hmm. but the gym culture literally survives on kind of you know pushing for that aesthetic or you know one more rep like pain is weakness mm -hmm. in the body and stuff like that so I don't know I guess I'm skeptical of is it actually ever going to change because they're, they're surely all like I don't know those people that use those sorts of phrases it seems like they're very dedicated and they they live for it but I do question like are they actually enjoying themselves or is it just you know almost another form of eating disorder that is maybe just more normalized I mean there's a very high prevalence of eating disorders among female fitness coaches um and potentially among you know males obviously we know that with with males it's less reported particularly if it's going to be in an area like fitness or bodybuilding or sport where it's like you know mental toughness is such a big <laughs> a toxic type word that exists it's not even you know an even a real phrase in sports psychology but it seems to be this perpetual sort of masculinity of like i can't possibly have an eating disorder and i you know i messaged you yesterday that i was um speaking to another fitness coach female fitness coach who had said oh I didn't realize that men could have eating disorders so it you know it, it can be a very confusing space when it comes to um people's mental health within a gym it's kind of almost feels like an oxymoron in a lot of ways because it's a, a sphere of physical health and we forget that 
exercise to an extent can help mental health, but then we sort of just take it so far that we lose the foundations, which is that the boost in the serotonin levels, you know, it's like, that's where we start. We kind of say, oh, that's part of exercise, but we forget about that because all we are focused on is the look. Mm-hmm. And, you know, is it ever going to change? It's hard to know because I think a lot comes into play with that. And a big aspect, again, in my opinion, is personal training is such a high turnover job. Gyms don't pay well. Um, and so you often get someone who's sort of just completed their PT course. And there's nothing wrong with that. But then they, have to fend for themselves on the gym floor and get clients and going up to people and saying oh if you hire me I'm you know you'll feel a bit better mood wise and someone's like well I can feel better doing something else that doesn't yeah. involve me paying you 200 pounds a month you know whereas if you say look I can get you to go from this to this if I can show you this transformation and hook you in by saying you're going to lose this much weight with me it's catchier people want it more because that's what we're sold in the media And so they're going to hire a trainer for that. And if the trainer's not delivering on that, they're going to lose business. So there's a lot in it that comes economically, I guess, in the way that whole trade works, the sort of exchange of goods and services. I'll help you lose weight if you give me money. Um, Because the other reasons to get in shape, do you need a trainer for that? Probably not. You can go for a walk outside and you'll feel better. You don't necessarily need someone to walk with you. You know, some people might, but you know, on the, most people that are going to the gym already have a level of motivation. They can already get that enjoyment themselves. They go into the more intensive fitness, I guess, and working with professional because they want to get some level of results. Um, and that's where I think we do get stuck, unfortunately. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting point you've made about the like economical aspect of it, which I think often maybe, I don't know, personally, I don't think I consider that, um, but you know diet and wellness culture or whatever you want to call it is it is a money-making machine you know we have these body ideals that are will apparently make us feel better and so we're all you know absolutely gunning for that so that we can feel better and I think people are willing to pay a lot of money in order to get that body type that is so heavily glorified so I think Mm. as part of that I don't know it makes me question well the, the ideal body types aren't going to shift because it's such a expensive industry that people can make so much money on yeah I think it's maybe a bigger bigger <laughs> bigger thing than I was maybe initially thinking um I think the thing is is you can't at the end of the day you can't bottle up happiness and sell it to people but mm. you can bottle up other things and a a big one is body image right if I change your body image you'll be more confident and therefore be happier and I don't think people are necessarily chasing different a different body they're just chasing feeling better right like we are living in a world where mental health is so low um, and people don't know where to turn and so when someone's telling you if you change the way you look you'll feel better we just think, okay, well, that's something I can do. I can probably do that. You know, I can change a, a body. You know, if I do all these things that you're telling me to do, if I buy all these products and whatever, but people lose out on the fact of ultimately, I just want to feel better about myself. And there's other aspects of me that I might be able to foster to feel better. And people forget about those other things, um, unfortunately. But that's what I'm hoping that, you know, having the good coaches out there they do that you know we focus on other areas we look at other aspects of someone's life and see where they might need some additional support beyond just the fitness like where where else could you be thriving or 
you know, do you just need a bit more sleep? Do you need to change your job? Do you need to spend more time with your family, with your partner? Do you need more time on your own? Like, are there things in your life that you can adapt or manipulate differently that isn't just your body? Because that often is the common denominator of what I try and do or what someone tries to do to find that happiness. Yeah. I think that's really interesting what you just said and that like, ultimately it boils down to to trying to find that happiness. And it's actually weird. Well, I was thinking about it when you said it, like I think often people think that fitness is the quick fix. Like, oh, I'll just get myself a coach and it'll be a quick fix and I'll feel happy. Um, but one, you know, your your body doesn't just change overnight. It's it's not a quick fix. And mm. also I think, yeah, I'm I mean, I guess this is my personal experience of it, but I would have like an idea in my mind. And as, as soon as that was reached, I'd already got a new goal. So I actually never reached that happiness because there was mm. there was something else in the way um and that's why I think it's so fantastic fantastic what you were talking about with you know finding other areas because you know you know hanging out with your partner a bit more or seeing your family that is going to kind of bring you that quick fix mm. if that is something that makes you happy to kind of get that feeling of you know happiness and stuff um so is that kind of where the work is that the work that you're doing now? Is that where that lies with you in terms of kind of helping people to have a better relationship with their body and, and food? Yeah, so I think what I'm, you know, what I'm doing now is sort of what we were saying before is almost that consistent screening within um, a coaching business. And, you know, we said, you know, we throw out a great, a great tool already for people to take away, which is putting the consultation forms together. Um, uh, but then that doesn't, sort of stop you from working with someone maybe with an eating disorder because they might lie um and two someone can develop an unhealthy relationship with food by engaging in weight management behaviors so having someone start counting calories being kind of rigid with their exercise um you know body checking in the mirror monitoring their weight monitoring their physical stats in some way it can impair your relationship with food. Um, it can impair your relationship with exercise. Um, and you can go from having a quote unquote normal you know, relationship with food or one that feels good for you to a disordered one very quickly. You know, eating disorders don't come out of nowhere. They've come from somewhere. And again, if someone's predisposed to that, it, it can sneak up on you. And you as a coach are thinking, oh, I'm doing such a great job. You know, this person's losing all this weight, like so great. And you're missing those small signs that are actually saying, I need some help. This isn't actually going very well. And so what I'm, what I'm doing now is working within fitness businesses with a coach who is already doing a great job. And I'm not there to kind of clean up, you know, what is not necessarily the right business to be in. For me, I'm not working with people that are, I guess, purely there for, aesthetics and, and things like this but someone who's more holistic and is wanting to work with people who are changing all aspects of their life and seeking that more enduring happiness and psychological well-being and physical health and just touching base with clients so I, I you know do some client check-ins and then I'm also working with a coach to develop their knowledge on how to kind of see those red flags um, or how they can maybe change their approach with certain clients to help them yeah reach their goals but also notice if the goal needs to change as well and, and support the coach in certain things we can do instead of counting calories instead of being rigid with exercise instead of you know xyz the client is currently doing 
I can help develop the plan differently. So they still are getting the benefits of a program with a coach and a coaching relationship, which can be very therapeutic in a lot of ways, but are working towards a goal that is supportive of not just their physical health, but their mental as well. I think I, I, I just don't understand that. That's not how it is already. That's probably me being very naive, but I just, you know, things like calorie counting and, you know, rigid exercise and stuff. I don't want to sound rude, but I feel like anyone could do that. Like, that's a very simple thing. Like, I think, you know, if you have an understanding of if someone comes to you with weight loss, then that would seem like something that you would prescribe. But like you've said, you know, having that more holistic approach and actually supporting somebody in improving their overall Mm -hmm. life, because I often think it doesn't just come down to, yes, you can, you know, calorie count or reduce your calorie intake or whatever, but that's not going to be something that you're going to be able to maintain Mm -hmm. if you do, you know, if, if weight loss is going to be beneficial for you and something you want to engage in so actually I've always thought helping someone develop quite yeah I don't healthy what is healthy but Mm -hmm. like or balanced what is balanced I can't think of (laughs) of a word you can actually use but you know behaviors in life that you're going to be able to commit to for you know and keep yeah going to have a beneficial impact on your life not things that are a quick fix so you get quick results but then results that you can't you can't maintain I mean don't get me wrong um I don't mean this to come across like I'm the one person doing this that you know in terms of having a holistic approach I already work with coaches who have an amazing approach with their clients so there's plenty of like I said initially there's great coaches out there this is not a you know bashing on fitness coaches sort of approach I think there are some amazing coaches that are doing exactly that like looking at behavior change looking at client psychology like really trying to make a difference but as I said initially I don't think you need you know, several university degrees and experience working in eating disorders and all the stuff to be able to help a client, but it can be really helpful to have someone who has had that experience, mm-hmm. um, which is where I guess I do step in is that the kind of the next level, having worked one-to-one within an eating disorder, you know, within eating disorder recovery, while also having done a more varied background in psychology and exercise psychology in particular to be able to offer, I guess, that next level of support. Because if you're going to be working with clients who need that help, you might then come across clients that need even more specific help. Because like I said, coaching is so much more accessible than, you know, therapy. We know how expensive it can be to get help with disordered relationship with food. We know how difficult that can be. And so it's much more affordable to go to a coach and much more accessible to do that. And if you, and I say, you know, if you, not someone with an eating disorder, but someone with disordered relationship with food, if you can actually help someone with that, great. Like we need, we need more of that. You know, people need that help. And if you can kind of back yourself and be able to do that, then, then why not, you know, why not help people that, that need help? Um, but it's when you've got clients who are kind of saying, yeah, I'm sort of binging every night, you know, again, people say binging, like, everyone's binging nowadays in fitness, you know, which is not actually binging as we know. Um, It's just sort of impulsively eating, right? Um, And like, how can I help clients manage that? Some people just feel like I'm at a loss with that. Mm -hmm. Whereas that's something I can sort of step in and notice one, is it actually binging? Because if it is, then we have a huge red flag and needs to support that person in a very different way um, and and get them the, the psychological support they need. Or is it kind of quote unquote, just impulsively eating excessively you know I say that very tentatively whatever that means for them 
and then they need a bit of support around that as well but that's going to look very different and it's being able to sort of distinguish between these things because like i said often there are a lot of words people use and noticing whether this is borderline eating disorder behavior or just kind of maladaptive relationship with food we need to know the difference between those two things and having someone who knows can kind of help flesh those things out and help the clients in the best way possible because that's what it's about in the end of the day is helping clients yeah absolutely and I, I think you know it sounds fantastic kind of I guess having you there as somebody that could step in um you know if if and when I guess I guess you know I'm seeing the kind of structure as there's a coach and then that coach and that's like this is all coaches have like a general understanding of eating disorders and kind of what things to look out for day to day they might not need to use those skills but it's it's almost you know it's good to just have in like their back pocket and then when they recognize that that's kind of when they call on you and and other professionals like you to say I need a bit of support here can you guide me um and you know I think that's that's so important and you know it's like I don't know if you had a doctor and then they'd go to a specialist heart yeah, doctor exactly. if, if they exactly. needed somebody in cardiology like it's not I don't know it doesn't feel like an abnormal thing it feels like a very sensible thing and a really right. sensible thing I think that's a great way to, to describe it is the idea of oh I'm already I'm already I'm not saying that you know they're met like I said there's many amazing fitness coaches it's not the coach is necessarily bad just like a GP isn't necessarily bad you know highly mm-hmm. educated they know what they're doing for the most part but you have someone step in with a specialist case and you're a bit like, Ooh, I want to help you. I do want to help you and not kind of just send you away with nowhere to go. Yeah. I want to keep you in my GP practice. Like I don't, you can't send you away, but I also want to give you the particular help that you need. And that's when the specialists come in. So I think that explains it really perfectly in terms of what I, what I do with coaches. Yeah. Amazing. Well, I, I've really enjoyed chatting with you. Um, I think we could probably chat about this for, for much, much longer. Um, <laughs> I, think, I could talk about it forever. <laughs> <laughs> I do have a couple of questions from the listeners. So I just wanted to ask you those. So what you've been wanting to ask. The first one is, how can I speak to my coach about behaviours I feel are disordered that they have normalised? That's a really, really good question. And I think you kind of touched on it before as well about sort of not the test that you gave that coach, but kind of a bit of a test, throwing out some more difficult sort of answers and seeing how they respond. Um, I think that honesty in any coach, you know, I don't know who the coach is, but any ethical coach will always appreciate honesty. And so if you can say, oh, I'd love to jump on a call with you, is, is that all right? And if you can have a bit of a dialogue and say, I'm really struggling with these behaviors. Um, I know this is something that was part of my plan initially and it, it, maybe it was helpful at the time. I know why we, why you've prescribed those type of behaviors to help me, but I'm really struggling with it. Is there any way we can change the program um, to, to not include those things? Or is there a different way that we can move forward because I'm, I'm having a hard time? And you know, 99% of the time coaches will say, absolutely, let's change things up. I didn't realize. Um, and they'll kind of hold their hand and say, oh, I actually had no idea that, that was difficult for you. Um, we can absolutely change things. So I think coming out with that honesty, because until you do say something, they probably just won't know. Um, and if you can kind of step into that empowered role and say, then they will honestly appreciate it more than anything. Yeah. It's I your program. You know, it's your program at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Take ownership of it. Yeah. I think holding in mind as well that if you do approach this, the conversation and say I'm struggling with this um 
and their response is not a positive one and they you know they mm-hmm. don't hold their hands up then it's a red flag for them you should yeah. say oh, I think this relationship needs to end here then <laughs> you can yeah. part ways <laughs> yeah thank you very much for your time but actually I'm gonna go elsewhere um yeah. and just holding on to you know that is completely okay you have not done anything wrong in that situation and and it, it's it's there it's on them in that situation yeah. um and go find someone that that will help you because I, I personally think that you know disordered relationships with food and body are a lot more common nowadays so if if you do have an issue you know it, it shouldn't be something that you have to hold yourself mm. um and then the second question that we have um from a coach so as a coach how can I shift from weight loss from sorry how can I shift from the weight loss mindset when it sells we did discuss this slightly but I guess more from like a specific coach Mm. I think you know a lot of it comes down to what you're presenting I I don't know where you're selling I guess if it's in the gym if it's on social media um, it doesn't necessarily matter but there's other ways to showcase people's transformations than you know the physical transformation and actually um the physical transformations are kind of on the out at the minute um because they don't tell you anything they don't give any context more than anything people want to feel better as we're saying people want to feel good about themselves they want to feel better and that doesn't come from going from a to b it comes from the processes in place it comes from gaining autonomy to finding a hobby you know the gym can be a de- place to de-stress it can be a place that um you start to build some strength and you see some performance changes and you know you get a different level of excitement and enjoyment out of and i think by sharing sharing those changes with your clients it will attract new business that also want that feeling. I think it really comes down to the emotion that you put forward, you know, in your captions, in your emails that you send out, if you have an email list or however you're putting yourself out there and marketing yourself as a trainer, showing the emotion that your clients go through and really like hitting that, you know, and saying, I feel amazing since I've worked with, you know, Susan or whoever, you know, since I've worked with this coach and these are the reasons why, and this is the stuff we did it doesn't have to be focused around fat loss. It can be more on the changes in their mindset, the changes in their strength, you know, the performance changes, you know, other pillars of happiness that clients are looking for. You know, one of the things I shared when I was a fitness coach that got the most engagement was supporting a client to actually quit their job and find something new because they finally had the confidence to do that. And it didn't come from losing weight or anything. It came from the fact that they were showing up for themselves in a different way in their life. I'm in feeling more empowered and feeling like I don't have to kind of be stuck. I'm changing things. I'm doing things I never thought I would do before, which is going to the gym and lifting some weights. Like that's crazy that I can do that now. And I'm not embarrassed or ashamed or scared. And if I can do that, well, I can step into my office and hand in my resignation and go do something different that I really want to do. And that will resonate much more with clients than showing an A and B this person's lost. 10 pounds you know no one cares yeah. in the end of the day right yeah absolutely I think I always whenever I see those transformation posts I'm and maybe this is just my perspective but I'm almost put off because I'm like mm. if that's all you've got to show for however m- many months that you've been working with someone and all that you've helped them achieve is is weight loss you know if I was working with someone I'd want to hear about you know that they listened to 
a client week in week out or that you trust them mm. or that you know like you said how much more confidence you're feeling or even you know if you did want to focus on something within the gym that I'd you know gain 10 kilos on your on my squat or, or something like mm-hmm. that I think there are so many other areas um like you so nicely said than than weight I think it's just it's an easy again it's an easy one to showcase um but I feel like after this conversation, we need to move away from what's easy and do. Mm. What is it? Someone said to me the other day, we always try. Oh, I can't think what the phrase was. Be right, not effective. And I think that's sums it up here in terms of you're just trying to please people rather than actually do things that are effective. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, if, if we're looking at this from purely a business standpoint, not necessarily from a person-centered standpoint, the clients that come to you wanting a quick fix won't won't last mm-hmm. anyway, because you're, the, the fat loss transformation that you would have done anyway wouldn't have been quick. It would have been long, as we said. We don't, you can't offer a quick fix as a coach. And if you are, it's the wrong thing to be doing, right? You're not putting them through the right behaviors. And it sounds like from the question, that's not the type of coach this is. Like, you're not the type of coach who's providing a quick fix so the the clients that are coming looking for that it's not what they need and they're going to end up canceling after a month when they don't see extravagant weight loss right so it's not the people that you would want to work with anyway whether it's in a fat loss capacity or in a more holistic capacity Um, and so I think that that does also come into play is those those type of clients aren't the people you want to be working with regardless yeah definitely well thank you very much Hayley um if people want to find out a bit more about you where can they find you so you can follow me on Instagram um that's where I show up the most it's Haley Justice Wellness and my name is spelled H-A-L-E-Y <laughs> no extra Y's in there but I'm sure Hannah will tag me in, in something so you can click on the link rather than trying to remember how to spell my name <laughs> yeah amazing thank you so much Haley. it's been an absolute you, pleasure to speak with you if you enjoyed listening today you won't want to miss next week's episode so be sure to subscribe eating disorders are crippling illnesses but with the right support they can be recovered from we really hope you enjoyed this episode but if you require more support right now please look into charities such as first steps and beat for support or talk to someone you trust